Thanks for tuning in to Witch Wednesdays with Steph for a chat about a new witchcraft topic every Wednesday morning. Welcome back to Witch Wednesdays. I'm Steph and you are listening to Ancestor Work. And I have a guest here with me today to chat about this because it is like a pretty big topic and good topic to sort of have a discussion about. So I am going to let her introduce herself and her podcast and let you know where you can find her. Well, first of all, I want to thank you so much for having me on. I've listened, started listening to you at the beginning of last um, last year when I first decided that I am a witch. <laughs> it's been an ongoing thing for me. Not sure exactly. Um, and uh, your podcast actually really inspired me to start mine. Um, so I want to thank you for that. Oh, <laughs> um, wonderful. Um, my podcast is uh, Practical Magic. And um, when did I start that? I think it was July last year I started that. And I have an Instagram and a TikTok, both Practical Magic Pod. Uh, so you can find me there. Um, working on making a website. (laughs) (laughs) That is always a feat. um, Right? (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think that's all my socials and everything. As usual, I will have everything linked over in the show notes at witchwednesdays.com to just make it a little easier for you to find everything and go check out her podcast, which um, you have actually discussed ancestor work on your podcast before. Um, yes. So I thought this would be a really great topic to have you on for because um, there are a lot of, you know, questions that I get surrounding ancestor work because um, people do have some misconceptions about it and then other people are a little, you know, worried about it or kind of scared about it. Um, so I thought it would be a really good topic to cover and get, you know, both of our perspectives on <laughs> exactly (laughs) what it is (laughs) totally understand yes first of all of course is what is ancestor work it is one of the oldest forms of magical practice and it's just connecting to those who have passed they have transitioned to the spirit world and are a part of you they are a piece of your puzzle so the more you know the more complete you can be and we touch about the touch on this later in the episode, but it doesn't have to be only blood relatives. They can be part of your family tree or your cultural heritage. And as far as why you might want to connect with ancestors, it is because they can provide guidance, wisdom, and messages that can help you in your everyday life and on your spiritual journey. It's a little more accessible for some witches than deity work, which can seem a little intimidating at first. And your ancestors are great at offering healing and advice. But obviously, everyone's you know work with their ancestors is going to look really different. You don't have to do it at all. But if you choose to, it's something that you can get started yourself, or sometimes your ancestors present themselves to you. So Rachel is going to tell you a little bit about her story and how she started approaching ancestor work. Personally, for me, um, it was a way to stay connected with my grandfather, um, who passed away like five years ago. And, uh, um, I mean, I don't think anyone has a good experience when a loved one dies, but, uh, for me, I felt like there was a lot of unfinished work between us. I never felt like we were extremely close. It was you know, we loved each other, just, um, other people in the family were closer with him. So when he passed away, I felt like there was like a void 
And um, he started like appearing to me. Sometimes it was just like the feeling of his energy. Sometimes when I would meditate, I would actually see his face. Um, And so then when I finally came out of the broom closet, um, (laughs) I I started uh, like meditating, which I've also touched on that meditating doesn't always have to be sitting on the floor, you know, listening to some Zen music, you could be dancing or whatever. So whatever that moment was for me that I needed, you know, that different form of meditation, um, I would just feel his energy around. And so when I made my altar, I put his sunglasses, things that were his around me. And um, I don't feel his energy so much when it comes to my work. Uh, I don't think that he really enjoys that, but he supports me in whatever I choose. His mother, my great-grandmother, um, I feel her energy a lot when I'm doing my spell work. Um, I've been told, my grandmother, uh, all my family members said that she was a God-fearing woman. She would never be a witch. But as we all know, there are Christian witches. There, are, you know, She could have been in the broom closet, for all we know. You know, absolutely. Um, so, um, I run with that, you know, and um, <clears throat> I during the summer, um, I kind of got like a download uh, from my ancestors, and they were just like talking about how they they want to be forgiven for all um, that they could have done and didn't do to prevent uh, slavery and such. Um, Yeah, so my family uh, came from uh, England on a ship called the Antebellum, which was also known as a slave ship. And uh, there's stories throughout my family that they did take part in slavery, owning slaves. And so... They were just, they were filled with grief and sorrow. And they were asking me for forgiveness. And um, I went outside and it was really, I, I don't, I can't think of the right word, but it was raining. And I was like, this is really magical. Like the sky is crying, like they're, it's showing their emotions. And what I said to them was, I can't be the one to forgive you. Um, but I can't stay here and hold space for you and allow you to work through your emotions, your feelings, you know, um, so you can forgive yourself. Um, cause I'm as, you know, white as snow. I have no room to forgive anyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course. Um, so, um, after that, um, you know, I felt that they weren't very happy you know if you you wanted somebody to forgive you and they can't you don't leave with that closure but they understood where I was coming from and um that was a very emotional thing because I started crying like like it wasn't just like I was crying for them I was actually crying because it was like I could feel their their sadness their genuine sadness for what they had done um and I like to think that that was part of generational healing you know healing a a generational curse 
Um, so, yeah. That is, <laughs> yeah, that is a just, very interesting. Question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting backstory. So I think people have very different ways of approaching ancestor work and kind of when it comes to them within their practice, because not, yeah. you know, every witch starts out looking for it um, or even thinking that that's something that they're interested in, but it could just appear out of nowhere and, and present itself to you as an option. Like it seemed to do with you that yeah. your family members sort of appear to you um, in that way, which is uh, very interesting. And I think it's really great to get a lot of these um, different perspectives because uh, that is something that I get a lot of um, questions about is what do you do if your ancestors weren't that great? And weren't that great is often my ancestors are white and own slaves. Yes. And I completely understand where people are coming from. So it's great that that is part of your story of a good way to approach that because you're right. You are not in the space to forgive them. Um, we have to, you know, understand where they were coming from and what they are feeling. But um, it's interesting that they even came back with a willing or desire to be forgiven. Because um, a lot of times that doesn't happen. Uh, people who weren't great in life are can stay the exact same way in death. I think people have this misconception that once you pass over, you're, you know, an angel with wings and everything is great and everything has changed. Like you, you say, your spirit has the same personality that you had in life. So if you were kind of miserable in life, it's possible that you didn't change any of those things in death. So it's really interesting that your ancestors came back to you with an, even a desire to be forgiven. Yeah. And so it's great I'm, growth on their end over the years. Yes. And that's what I was thinking. Like all of us, everyone on this earth, we grow, whether we like to or not, you know, we change. So I don't see why that can't be possible when we pass over. Um, and so I kind of like, you know, tipped my hat to them, like, you know, respect for continuing to grow even after life. Or Yeah, I think it all depends. We all, nobody knows what the afterlife no. looks like. So it really depends on what your construct of it is, but it's very possible that we sort of create our own realities after we die. So we create our own versions of, you know, quote unquote, heaven and hell, depending on what our lives were like and if we thought we were good people or not. Um, and some people just choose to stay exactly as they were in life and not continue to grow. But maybe some people are confronted with the fact after they've passed that, with modern knowledge, you know, it is not okay to own other people right. and you must atone. You must still atone for those mistakes, even though you're dead, you made them. Yes. So it's really interesting that they would um, come back and continue to grow like that. Some people are not. So <laughs> I definitely wanted to throw that out there for listeners that if you are confronted with one of your ancestors, you get to pick and choose who you work with and who you have any sort of relationship with. So if they are not at all uh, sorry for their behavior, and not just, you know, in a meaning that they owned slaves, but in any sort of way, maybe they were a little bit closer to you in your generation. Maybe it was only one or two generations removed and you knew them and they were a toxic person in your life. You don't have to forgive them. That That is completely up to you. But they also may come to you not at all sorry for their behavior. So if they are still toxic in death, um, you don't have to work with that person. You don't have to, 
forgive them. You don't have to have them as part of your ancestor altar, as part of your practice. You can completely ignore them and they can continue to be toxic in their afterlife. You can't control, exactly. can't control what comes to you. Like that. That's a very good point. Um, I didn't even think of mentioning that. But uh, I would also like to mention that for people out there that are adopted um, or were, you know, uh, a sperm donor baby, for example, they don't know the history of their father. Um, I have a friend who was adopted. And so she identifies as her adopted parents' ancestors as her ancestors because she doesn't know her bio, you know, her biological uh, family history. Um, yep, so that is definitely something I wanted to, I was going to touch on that right after the, probably the other question after what if they weren't that great is what if I don't even know them? Um, yeah. so that is a question that I get a lot and specifically I have, I am adopted. I have talked about this, um, on the podcast once or twice that, uh, I am adopted. I was adopted the day I was born. My dad is Indian and my mom is some kind of European mix of Irish, English, I German, all kinds of things over there. And I am biologically Italian and German. So um, I do not have any culturally Indian background in me at all. Um, but my dad passed away last year. And obviously, I consider him my ancestor. Like, of course, that is my dad who has raised me for the last 30 something years. Like that is my ancestor. So if you are adopted and feeling the same way, you can work with Anyone that you consider, you know, part of your family tree, but it's also t important to consider that in modern society, the way we are now, um, a lot of people consider their friends um, to be family. Exactly. Yep. So if you have somebody who, you know, you always called Uncle Tom, but he was never really biologically your uncle. He was just a close family friend and he passed on. That could be part of your ancestral family tree of people that you reach out to. It doesn't have to be this blood biological relation. If you have a close friend that has passed on, you absolutely can include them, even though they're not considered biologically your ancestor. Um, at some point, we all came from very few of the same people that were inhabiting the earth. Like they're... <laughs> You know, it hasn't been fully traced back yet to which original man and woman we are come from, but ancestrally, we're all related somehow. So exactly, go back yeah. far enough. So it is okay to have that, you know, mix of people that you reach out to. And if you do want to reach out to ancestors in your culture that you don't know, um, you can also just learn about and incorporate those cultural aspects. So for me, um, that would be Italian and German. I can just look into the cultural and historical aspects of Italian life and what things were like maybe 400, 700, 2000 years ago in Italy and kind of incorporate that and learn about that as a way to tap into my cultural background if I so choose. Um, you don't have to know the ancestors by name or face to include them and talk to them and, uh, you know, have a working relationship with them. Um, they may eventually tell you their name in some way or form. So there are a lot of different ways that you can consider your ancestral lineage. Definitely. It doesn't um, have to be quite so restricted to this biological blood relations. I think that's, that's just crazy. Yeah. Like there's a whole wide world out there of exactly. how people are connected. So don't feel limited. Yes. Um, I feel like I skipped a part of your question. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. I just, the other um, 
question, I guess, in, in general and then specific for you is okay. how does one connect with ancestors if they've never gone about this before and have just started, like maybe I do want to connect with them in, in some way, what is the best way for a beginner to go about that? And then how do you go about that in your own practice? Um, well, for somebody that just wants to start getting into it, if it's a family member that you knew or recently passed, maybe passed away when you were a child and you want to connect with them, ask living family members stories about them. What were their favorite foods? Where did they like to go? And then you can start incorporating that sort of stuff into your practice and, um, and use that as a way to channel them, connect with them. Um, yeah, I think that's so important. I think when people are considering ancestor work, they like skip right to the people who are deceased, but aren't considering that people who are still alive and older than you knew those people. And they have so much history and things to offer you. So don't, um, you know, skip the family that you do have still on earth. They have a lot to share with you while they're still here. It can be very helpful. Yeah. Um, so for me, um, well, I'm a very inquisitive person. I asked my grandmother, uh, tons of questions about our family. Um, the cemetery that's here in town where I live, um, was, uh, started built is that how you what you classify a cemetery (laughs) when um the town was first founded which was in uh, i think 1916 uh if i'm not mistaken and so should we go through there and a couple years ago my grandmother was like this is where you know her mother and father and their parents were buried. I did not know any of this. I just knew my grandfather's family was there. And so she, you know, once in a while we'll get together, we'll go to the cemetery and she'll like, just tell me all this family stories, things that she's heard when she was a child and uh, things that she learned through my grandfather because um, their families, I mean, further down, I think it was like, four or five times great were some of the first people to settle here where I live and helped settle the town. So their families knew each other. Uh, they didn't directly, they didn't know each other directly, but their ancestors did. And they were doing like all this research together. And so now my grandmother's filled with all this knowledge, you know, of our family through the research that they did. And uh, so I'm taking advantage of that and I'm asking her all these questions and everything. And, um, so yeah, I guess I would just say for me, it was the ability of asking my grandmother questions and thankfully the fact that she and my grandfather did a lot of research, um, you know, through their lineage and, uh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I'm rambling. (laughs) No, I think that's um, a really good point because I think it's the same as approaching deity work, that if you do the research, it shows a level of respect and honor. So it's kind of the same because I have had an episode on deity work and mentioned that, um, you know, getting into deity and spirit work, that if you just do the research and show that you are interested and respectful, that goes a long way in having them 
you know, potentially contact you and work with you. Uh, so it's just a nice way to show that you are dedicated to the effort. So the same is true of your family members. If you just put in the effort of, of doing the research and learning about them and, you know, what their lives were like, and like you said, their likes and dislikes um, and any fun little stories about them in history, then that is a great first step to showing that you love and respect them and would like to work with them in some form. Exactly. Um, and like I mentioned before, um, if you meditate, however that, however your form of meditation is, sometimes they will appear to you or sometimes you will get a feeling of their energy. Um, I've had both and, um, you know, it's, it's a very magical feeling. I, I don't mean to sound jokey when I say that. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, I, there's, I can't think of a word to like describe it. It just feels so surreal, you know? Um, yeah. And I think people even outside of witchcraft have, you know, had that sort of experience. I think that's why a lot of people uh, go to visit cemeteries and go to visit the grave. Um, mm. Or in a religious aspect, they go to church to talk to, you know, not only whatever deity it is, but also to talk to their ancestors who were in that same religion. And they feel that that person is with them at that point, at whether yeah. it's by, by their graveside. We don't, nobody believes that, you know, your ancestor spirit is hanging out at their grave all day, every day. It's no. just that you go there and you are reminded of them and it's a quiet space where you can actually focus and they can hear you and they come to be with you there. And yeah, it's definitely a different feeling once you experience that, that you just kind of know that they're there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, I think everybody, whether you're, you say you're a witch or not, I think everybody uh, has the ability uh, to be a witch. Everyone is a witch. It's just, do you want to tap into that energy? Um, and so that's why I, I agree. I think because of that, everyone, uh, in spite of no matter what religion you uh, subscribe to, um, you know, you have the ability to connect with loved ones who have passed passed on. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Everyone should, yeah, everyone should just, <laughs> you know, tune in with your ancestors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and many, many people do. I think in, you know, Western culture, we've kind of moved away from death in the spirit world we're so terrified by death and not knowing what comes next that we don't like to focus on it but in other cultures it's very prominent to regularly work with your ancestors worship your ancestors um, visit their graves and communicate with them more so than it is in western culture i think that's something that um witches of the modern area era you know in our area have to really deal with and sort of mentally get past that block because we've kind of all been raised to think that death is a scary thing and just sort of ignore that part of life. But it is part of life. It's part of the cycle. And yes. for other cultures, it's just way more prominent and prevalent of how important your ancestors are and how um, easy it really is to communicate with them if you put in the time and effort and willingness. Exactly. <sighs> <laughs> but yeah, there are a lot of different 
you know, ways to connect besides just researching. Um, I have heard of people doing, you know, tarot and oracle readings and letting their ancestors guide those answers, trying to chat with them that way, because you can get a lot of good information from tarot and oracle cards. So if that's, you know, your chosen medium, then your ancestors can connect with you that way to send you messages either about themselves and what they're feeling or messages for you that you need to hear in your current life that you may be ignoring and they see some signs for you. Um, So a good way to connect with them. And um, a lot of people connect by grave care in general, just Mm. visiting cemeteries, leaving flowers, cleaning off the grave. Um, It's not the only place to connect with an ancestor. I think it's just the most common because it's the one place where we're like quiet and focused and trying to do that one task of, you know, connecting with them and communicating with them. Exactly. Um, I actually have an episode on, um, well, it's not grave care. It's graveyard etiquette, how to, you know, behave in a graveyard. Um, I just figured I should put that out there because. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some um, people just don't know. They don't know how to act, you know, like in that sort of setting. So I thought I should put that out there. And uh, in that episode, I did mention what you said about uh, grave care, you know, bring flowers for to the gravesite that you're going to be taking care of, you know, um, if you have the ability to uh, wash it down, uh, remove any, you know, whatever dirt mold that might be on it. Um, and like you said, that's a great way to show respect and honor to your ancestors. And through that, you will build a rapport with them and they'll feel more comfortable appearing to you and however uh, they they decide to do that. I like to think that they know what would intimidate you. So if seeing a vision of them would like scare you away, I think I like to think they would show up in a way that would make you feel comfortable. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to agree with what you were saying there. Yeah, I think graveyard etiquette is is good for everyone to go over again because we're a lot of us were raised in such a way to you know sort of fear graveyards and mm-hmm. cemeteries and you know didn't grow up visiting them or you know having proper respect for them. So it's good to have a refresher on that of you know how to behave and realizing that they aren't scary. I used to hold my breath when I was little going past graveyards. I don't know why that was a thing, but when you drive in the car past a graveyard, you hold your breath. I have no idea where that came from. You know, you're not the only person I've heard that from. Um, I personally never did that, but I think that's pretty cool that some people um, have picked that up over time, you know, and they don't even remember where they got it from. It was just kind of... Yeah, I don't know where that came from, and I don't even know why. Like, why... I Even as a kid, why was I doing that? What Did I, like, think that I was going to swallow a ghost or something? Like, I don't know what my... My thought process was, but I distinctly remember doing that, and I'm like, I don't know why I was so like afraid of graveyards I never went in them when I was a kid but now it's like one of the places I'm most comfortable so um, yeah I think it's a good idea to get a refresher on etiquette and you know learning how to not be intimidated by that space yeah I heard a story I don't know how true this is but I heard a story that um the reason people hold their breath when they pass cemeteries is because you know long time ago our ancestors believed that if you uh didn't hold your breath 
um, you could swallow the spirit of somebody or be possessed by a negative energy from the cemetery. So that's why people in the past held their breath. And I guess sometimes it's just uh, handed down generation, generationally, like you just internally, generationally hold on to that. And sometimes verbally family members say, you know, this is what you've got to do when you pass the cemetery. So either way it gets handed down. That's so interesting. Um, yeah. Like I said, I don't know how much truth is to that, but that was a story that I was told. And I, I could see it have some truth to it, you know? People being superstitious, um, you know, in the past about that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, you can definitely see it stemming from yeah. that. But yeah, for, for me personally, I have no idea where that little nugget came from. Like, just <laughs> just remember doing it, but don't remember why or where that started. Uh, but obviously don't do that anymore because otherwise I would be dead because there's been way too much time there to hold my breath the whole time. See, I was just the opposite of you as a child. Um, I love cemeteries. My family, my parents would take me and my siblings to cemeteries wherever we moved. That was one of the first things we always did was find the local cemetery and they would take us in there with paper and crayon and we'd rub the crayon on the piece of paper and get the person's name and date of birth and passing. And then we would go to the library. Of course, this was before it was popular to have computers in your house or iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) And then we would look it up. And sometimes we found really interesting things. And sometimes you don't find anything at all. But uh, I think that's where my love for uh, cemeteries and graveyards stems from. You know, that being our family time. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah. And speaking of, you know, family time, something that is really popular as a way to connect is to leave offerings and to leave offerings specifically on an ancestor altar. Mm. And that is really popular around Samhain, which just passed, obviously. Um, But the idea of a silent supper where you spend time and you eat and you offer food um, is very common, but I think also very misunderstood. Mm. Because when I see that come up, people are like, well, then what happens to the food? Like, who's eating it? Where is it going? What do you do with it? Um, So offer, I think this doesn't just apply to ancestors, but offerings in general of food and drink are are very like misunderstood, (laughs) I I think. Um, But yes, I think this is can happen at home or this can happen in graveyards, like at graveside, but Mm -hmm. it is very customary across a lot of different cultures to present offerings of the deceased's favorite food or drinks and to leave them, you know, at the graveside, or if you are doing a supper to set them their own place at the table. And it is just a sign of respect that you are giving them the same food that you're eating and offering them the, you know, the, the first bite, the first serving, um, as just a way to connect and remember them. And if you are doing this in nature, you know, you pour the drink out on the grave and you leave the food. And the idea is that, you know, it either decomposes or that wildlife will come to get it. If it is something that is safe for wildlife to eat, I always say that do not like leave chocolate and salt and stuff out that is going to kill the local wildlife. Because if you're doing it outside, somebody might come eat it. Everybody needs to be aware of that. Um, But that is the idea. If you leave something safe, uh, but it's not food for you to be consumed consuming like what it's done after it's been sitting there it is for the ancestor it is a sign of respect and honoring 
I actually uh, did a dumb supper uh, for the first time last uh, Halloween. And uh, I did exactly what you said. I made a plate for me and a plate for my ancestor. Um, uh, it was actually for my grandfather. Um, I, I chose him particularly for this. And uh, I made some food that I knew he would enjoy. And after I was done eating, I didn't talk the whole time. I just let, you know, just pick up the energy, feel what was going on around me in that moment. And when I was done, uh, I put the plate that I set for him, I put it in the fridge and I saved it for another day. Um, I know some people feel like, you know, you shouldn't consume the offering, but um, personally to me, I feel like that's wasting food or a drink. Um, And I see me consuming it as me accepting the offering for them if if that makes sense like um so um i didn't do it this um this halloween uh the Samhain. um i was a little busy that day but um i also do it like on his birthday and i also do it for christmas because that was his favorite um holiday so i want to acknowledge him and spend quality time with him with that um so yeah, yeah, I think that's really nice. A lot of people think that ancestor work is only related to Samhain and you can only do a supper like that on Samhain, which is not true. Like you can do ancestor work at any time. And especially if there is a time that was, uh, you know, particularly loved by the ancestor you're trying to connect with, like you said, Christmas for your grandfather, then that's an excellent time to do it. Um, mm. You know, the veil is thinnest on Samhain, um, as they say, but um it's a veil. It's thin all the time. So <laughs> it's relatively easy to, uh, nobody's heard of a thick veil. Okay. <laughs> so it's not a wall, um, that, that magically dissolves. It's, it's thin all the time. So, um, it's just easier, I would say on, on Samhain and Beltane, but it, it, for your ancestor, maybe they really come alive at that Christmas time. If that was their favorite time, then their spirit may be even more pronounced at that time, which would be a better time to have the supper and connect with them. So you can do ancestor time, ancestor work any time of year. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. And as far as specific, you know, altering, so, you know, we talked about having the supper, but a lot of people will also leave the altar offerings on an altar. Um, and people will have various forms of ancestor altars and it doesn't have to be like the traditional tabletop altar space that most people consider when they think of like a witch doing spell work or, um, having a deity altar or a working altar that has candles and things. Your altar can, is just a space for, uh, photos and mementos. So if that's like a gallery wall in your house, that can still be considered your altar space. It's just anywhere that you are collecting these photos and mementos that when you pass by it, that is your ancestors space in your home um, where you like honor them and think about them. Um, So it can be like a tabletop space where you leave those offerings or light a candle for them every day. Um, So some cultures do do that have a, a constant ancestor candle going but it could just be like a gallery wall in your home Mm -hmm. yes definitely um i've got tons of photos on my phone that i want to 
have printed out and I will hang them up on my walls. Um, you know, so I, yes, that, that's very true that it doesn't necessarily, does not necessarily have to be a physical table with everything on it. It could be scattered throughout your home or designated, especially for your uh, bedroom. If, uh, you know, that's where you want to keep it. Um, and the beautiful thing about having like the photos or, um, special items associated with that loved one, putting them like on the shelf or whatever. If you're a witch in the broom closet and somebody comes into your room, it's not so obvious that it's, um, an altar. If that makes sense. It's not a deliberate spread on a table top. Right. And I think if you're in the broom closet, then ancestor work is probably one of the like most common or easiest to conceal. Because if you have, everybody has photos of their deceased loved ones. We, we mm-hmm. keep them. It's what we do. Uh, yes. So that's, that's not generally only a witchcraft thing or something that would suggest to others that, oh, she's definitely a witch because, um, you know, she has her grandfather's tobacco pipe sitting out. Like, lots of people do that. Exactly. <laughs> um, totally outside of, of witchcraft, keep those really important mementos from their deceased family members. Um, so that is a great way to, you know, practice and honor them and incorporate that into your witchcraft practice without having to come out of the broom closet. Exactly. So <clears throat> I tried to make sure to um cover topics like this and and make sure that topics i do cover are things that people that are in the closet can still uh do uh you know i don't want to exclude anyone (laughs) you know um yeah this is a this is a great way to sort of dip your toe in and i think it's uh, a form of reaching out into the spirit world that's a little more accessible for most people because Spirit work and deity work can seem a little um, scary at first if you're a beginner. When you're reaching out to your own ancestor, that's like a piece of you. That's a piece of your your puzzle. So that is just a little less intimidating, um, I think, for a lot of beginner witches. And you don't have to incorporate any of that into your actual ritual or spell work. You can just communicate with them and that's it. You can just honor them and recognize that they're there and communicate with them and offer your feelings of love and respect without ever asking anything in return, uh, without ever, you know, asking for help on spell work or incorporating it or anything that can just be a part of your spiritual practice. Yes. Very true. But I if agree you, with that. if you do want to work with them, then you can incorporate your ancestors into your work in a similar way that you would incorporate a spirit or deity by asking them for assistance on a particular working. Um, and for it, it can really vary by ancestor, but you're really just asking them that's like something in their area of expertise. Um, maybe that was your grandmother was really protective over you and raise you and took care of you, then maybe when you need, um, are doing a spell for, you know, nurturing, support, anti-anxiety, anti-stress, you would ask your deceased grandmother to help with that working. Um, you can ask them for any kind of sports support in general, or very specifically, like for me, my dad was a pediatrician. So obviously I'm going to ask him for assistance in any sort of health working, um, any sort of health spell, because that's where his expertise lies. Um, and they can just give it sort of 
the same way you would ask a deity who specializes in that to just give your general spell work an extra boost of energy and positivity towards that working. Yeah, that's beautiful that um, that you do that with your father. You know, if you ever need a spell for health or anything like that, I think that's that's beautiful. I totally agree with what you just said there. And um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, lots of ways to incorporate your ancestors into just your spiritual practice, your witchcraft practice, a lot of different ways to um, sort of connect with them. So I think um, it's just really important to um, keep an open mind and just not approach it that it's this big, scary topic and um, that you have to go into it thinking that you're going to heal a lot of your ancestors' mistakes or um, any trauma that's in your past. It does not have to be um, that traumatic. It, it can be if you want to heal all of that work like you've been doing um, for your ancestors being a support system for them. Like that's a lot of emotional work that you are um, putting into that. Um, so you absolutely can and you can work on, on healing traumas in your generation's past, um, but you don't have to. It can also be very simple. So ancestor work is all what you make it. Exactly. Um, there was something I wanted to say, and then it just escaped my mind. Oh, no. Hey, when that happens. Hopefully we'll come back. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I think that is everything. I will have um, some resources over at whichwednesdays.com of some books that can be really helpful when you are starting this. Uh, but if you have any particular, you know, questions or concerns, then you can definitely reach out to both me and Rachel. Um, I will link all of her podcast and Instagram information so you can contact either one of us if you want more information or if you have like a very specific question about um, one of your ancestors and how to uh, go about working with them or just even trying to start a communication with them. So we can definitely answer more things that we didn't cover here if you're curious. <laughs> Uh, but I think that is everything that I wanted to share it, as far as, you know, basics, <laughs> because um, it could definitely be a topic that can get away from you very quickly. <laughs> so, oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, there could be a lot more things to, to share. Um, so maybe sometime next year, there'll be a part two of this. But as far as the basics, I think that's everything I wanted to share. Unless, Rachel, did you have anything you wanted to add to ancestor work? <laughs> um. No, I think we, we covered a good chunk of it. And um, like you said, there's obviously more we could dive into. But I think for uh, beginners, I think this is a good, you know, we covered a good chunk of it. Yeah, absolutely. So again, if you have any questions, reach out to us and uh, we will try our best to answer specific, any specific questions that you have. But um, ancestor work is really just about showing the proper respect to start communicating them and communicating with them and then seeing what happens from there because everybody's ancestors are going to be completely different and react completely differently. Uh, so it's all, you know, trial and error to see what works in your own life. Definitely. Well, that is everything that I have to share with you this week. Rachel, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And I will see you next week. Thank you.
Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Need even more witchcraft? Subscribe to Patreon for exclusive bonus content three times a week and order Sabbath boxes and other supplies at witchwednesdays.com. Be sure to follow on Instagram at witchwednesdayspodcast.com.